0: A little more than four years ago, our Holy Father, Pope Francis, put out a document declaring this Sunday, the third Sunday of ordinary time, to be the Word of the Lord Sunday. So the Sunday to specifically focus on the Word of God, the sacred scriptures. And I heard some kind of, you know. Cynical, sort of, you know, sarcastic, snarky comments, like, isn't that every Sunday? Don't we read the readings every Sunday? I mean, it's it's a fair point, but it never hurts to look at the foundations and also why he would declare it to be this particular Sunday. You may remember last week I kind of talked about how it was sort of hard to dive in for the homily because the second Sunday of Ordinary Time the reading always comes from the Gospel of John. So it's always like the end of chapter 1 or the very beginning of chapter 2. And then we jump into this Sunday, either Matthew, Mark, or Luke, and then we're in them for basically the whole year. Now we take little breaks here and there at Lent and Easter, and we get more from the Gospel of John. But the church, like the liturgical year, we have three of them, A, B, and C. And now here we are at the beginning of year A, and from now all the way until Advent starts in December, we're going to be marching through the Gospel of Matthew. And you can see why the Holy Father wants us to emphasize sacred Scripture. And the longer I'm a priest, the more it hits me that it is true that the Word of God is living and effective, that every time we approach sacred Scripture... It comes to us anew. It is alive. We are encountering our Lord, and it's always reaching out to touch us in the present, and it is, as I said, living and effective. And as we kind of kick off into the Gospel of Matthew today, you can see all of these different things going on and what Jesus is about. Now, for those of you keeping score at home, as I like to say, if you look at the citation for today... This we just read from chapter 4 of the Gospel of Matthew, verses 12 to 23. Now the first three chapters we spent a lot of time in over the last month and a half. Like basically, you know, the genealogy of Jesus. This is how the birth of Jesus came about, those early years. And then the baptism. I mean, we got all of those things for a long time. And then we skip 12 verses, right? The beginning of chapter 4, we're going to get those the first Sunday of Lentz. Because what's that? It's a temptation of Jesus in the desert, where Jesus begins right out of the gate. He's hungry, like Adam was, and the devil knows to sneak in there and make his temptations. But after Jesus wrestles with and fights with the devil in the desert, he arises victorious. And then we move right into the beginning of the gospel today. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested... Those are really powerful words when you think about it. At the beginning of Jesus moving into his public ministry, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, remember, just spent 40 days in the desert. He was just tempted by the devil to deny his father, to you know, move into like taking things into his own hands, just like the devil tempted Adam and Eve in the desert. And Jesus refuses. His communion with his heavenly father is the utmost foundation of everything, the principle of it all. And in wrestling with the devil, he emerges victorious. But as we see in that first line, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, it's not as though Jesus beat the devil in the desert and now everything is easy, right? It's the devil goes to work in other places. He's been at this a long time. He's very wily. And so John, who is this prophet, who stands up for God's command, stands up for true and lasting peace in the world, not passing fancies of pleasure and power, but stands up to Herod and says what? It's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Follow the darn sixth commandment, right? Like if you're going to steal someone's wife, especially your own brothers, you sicko, that's a problem, right? And so he says that, and Herod, like any good tyrant, doesn't say, you know, John, you're probably right. I should engage in some self-examination. No, he locks him up, and we know what's eventually going to happen to poor John. And here's Jesus. What does he do? He doesn't, like, get together an army and storm Jerusalem and free John from the prison. Where does he go? When he hears that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee, right, to the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Okay, we can spend a lot of time with this. Eventually, you've got to go to lunch. I've got to celebrate the 1230 Mass. I'd love to go through all of this for a long time. But what is Zebulun and Naphtali? What does that have to do with anything? Okay, these are two of the 12 tribes of Israel, the ones in the northern part of the kingdom. And when the kingdom of David, the king of Israel starts to fall apart, when the foreign nations start to invade, it all starts up in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. The kingdom of Assyria comes in and takes them over. I mean, we heard Isaiah talking about it in the first reading. First, the Lord degraded the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Why? Because they didn't follow their end of the bargain. They didn't follow the covenant. Their heart, like throughout all of salvation history, keeps wandering away. You know, they're they're basically cheating on our Lord. They're looking to other places. And what happens? Sin is its own reward. Darkness overtakes them. This is where everything started to fall apart with the sin of the kingdom. That's where the foreign nations attacked. That's where they began to get their foothold. And eventually, the whole kingdom of David, the earthly kingdom, falls apart. And so what does Jesus do when he hears that John has been arrested? He goes to the very first place where the wounds are. He goes to the place of the hurt, the place of darkness. Rather than, we're going after Herod, we're going to free John. No, he goes to heal the wounds and the separation of the people. And in what way does he do it? Repeating those words of John the Baptist. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Walking by the Sea of Galilee. Walking throughout the region. What does that walking kind of evoke? Just like the Heavenly Father. Walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening in the garden. With his people again. Going to as the opening of Quantum Leap said, to set right what once went wrong, right? He goes into the darkness to heal the divisions, but not, you know, with all sorts of force. He's not kicking down the door and taking names. He goes to heal. And notice too, how does he kind of begin here? I love this because he doesn't just call individuals. Notice, John is arrested for trying to mend the relationship between brothers Jesus starts by calling two sets of brothers to join him in his work of reconciliation, of healing, of proclaiming the good news that sins can be forgiven, that the kingdom of God is at hand. He goes about it by moving right into the darkness and calling them by name, using the goodness that they are. I'm going to make you what? Fishers of men. Now, it's an amazing thing. Scripture, it's living and effective. It can always speak to us And the very place that Jesus finds himself is just like it is for us, right? He's both going to face the past and the old wounds and divisions and hurts and darkness at the same time that there's present dangers and ills, right? I mean, at this time, I mean, just the very fact that John has been arrested doesn't really bode well for Jesus just having a peaceful future. He already beat the devil once in the desert, but the devil is still active. He's still working hard. He's got John arrested. He's coming for Jesus eventually. But it's not like Jesus just hunkers down. He goes about his healing work. My brothers and sisters in Christ, it continues on to this very day. We're called to let him in to heal past wounds. For those places in our hearts where we sit in darkness because of past sins, past problems, hurts, divisions, all of these things, ways that we've been in conflict with our brothers and sisters. What does he want to do? He wants to enter in for those who have sat in darkness that they may see a great light. He's always walking in our midst, in the midst of the sacraments, in particular, in confession. Remember last week we had the uh, prayers of the faithful, the petitions, and the deacon prayed that one for the March for Life. Not just for protection for those who march, but for those that may be healed, who have been affected by the great sin of abortion, right? That they may be healed. That those who have sat in darkness may see a great light. And he enters in, even if it was a long time ago, to heal that up. Because remember this phrase, you know, the simple phrases sometimes are the most powerful hurt people hurt people, and he enters in to make anew those hurts. Not make them anew, but to heal them, to make them better, to bring light to the darkness, and to make it so those people can rise again. And then do what? To be like Peter and Andrew, James and John, to then go out to where they are, to live out their vocations, to live out the good things that God has given them, their characteristics, their backgrounds, to go out and join Him in the work of reconciliation, even though there's danger on the horizon. When Jesus had heard that John had been arrested, Herod is still there. Sometimes most of the time, they're going to meet with difficult reactions, right? Herod is still not happy to hear that he needs to live up to the Ten Commandments. Herod's still not happy to hear he can't just take his, wife, his, his brother's wife. The same is true today. The wider culture is not necessarily happy to hear us say, Ten Commandments still stand. But the beautiful thing is, the peace of God is on offer. And he calls us to join in that to follow him every day now once again once he calls us to it is it just easy no and it hasn't been from the beginning when you look at the second reading of saint paul of the corinthians it should give us so much hope and why do i say this saint paul wrote this around the year i think it was 60 i'm not talking 1960 i'm talking 60 period full stop right early on in the church and what's going on already people are divided. They're getting all upset. You know, well, I belong to Apollos. I belong to Paul. I belong to, I belong to Christ. Well, okay, wait a second, folks. We're all in this together. And the thing is, people are the way that they are, right? There are divisions. These things come up. But ultimately, from all the way back at Paul's time to today, what ultimately is there? The power of the cross of Christ, because there's Jesus again, not just in the desert fighting the devil, but fighting him during Good Friday, right? Laying down his life on the cross and ultimately defeating the devil, rising from the dead. And the power of that continues to echo throughout the ages, continues to be really and truly present for us, that we can be like Peter and Andrew, James and John, St. Paul, Apollos, Kephas is Peter. We'll just keep going, right? So all these people, right? We get to participate by the power of the cross in bringing that love and reconciliation to all those around us. And the glory in knowing this, as all this unfolds, is like we get to participate, but it's not all on our shoulders. What do I mean by that? Like Jesus sends them out, but he's right there with them. It's not on anybody's shoulders in particular, not Peter's, not Andrew's. They're called to particular roles, they're called to particular places. But it's not as though the whole church just, if John isn't perfect, well, it's all going to fall apart. No. Jesus is in their midst. And what is so good about that? Well, we don't have to worry about the fact that, yeah, there are people we look to in the church. I remember when Father Richard John Newhouse, the one who founded the magazine First Things Passed Away, it's like, oh, where are we going to get a churchman like that? How are we going to make it? I remember, you know, right now, Pope Benedict just passed away. How can we continue to make without Pope Benedict? That was my reaction too. I was crying. It's very tough. You know? What are we gonna do without him? What are we gonna do without Cardinal Pell? What are we gonna do about, without this one or that one or Fulton Sheen or everybody else? The good news is it's not on anybody's shoulders, right? God uses us, uses the gifts that He's given us, uses our cooperation with Him to spread the good news to continue to proclaim the fact that the darkness will not win. But those people rise at a particular time and it's important and then they pass away. And the power of the cross continues to be proclaimed. And we move on. I love my grandparents, all four of them. They all played a role in my living out the faith. But when the last one passed away a few years ago, it wasn't like, well, done being Catholic. No, I mean, we continue on and it's also good news for each of us, right? We all have our role to play in our vocations, in our families, in our workplace, wherever our Lord is placing us. But it's not all on your shoulders. Think about that great line from St. John Twenty Third, the Holy Father who opened the Second Vatican Council. He has a lot of great ones. I'll tell you one, just as a fun aside. Someone asked him once how many people work at the Vatican, and he said about half of them. And I really like that line a lot. But his great line that he, I guess he used to say at the end of the day was, Lord, it's your church, I'm going to bed. Which is a great thing when you think about it. He's the Pope. He's got the world on his shoulders, but it's Christ's church. And the beautiful news for us is that he involves us in his work. Look what he's doing. Walking in the midst of Peter and Andrew, James and John. Calling them to come after him. To be with him. When you think about that, just like, as I said, like the the March for Life, what goes better? A big billboard that says believe in pro-life or the example of a person who is in love with Christ and says healing is possible. Stick with me. And to be that conduit, that person that can bring that person to Christ. And then we get to play our role, but it's not all on our shoulders. We can say, Lord, it's your parish." I'm going to bed. Lord, it's your school. I'm going to bed. Lord, it's your family. I'm going to bed. But then you get to get up the next morning and try again and know that he's in your midst. It's a freeing thing to know that it's his. It's a glorifying thing to know that he involves us in the work, that he wants to go right back to the root of wherever the darkness is, like Zebulun and Naphtali, right back to the wound that separated us out, right back to that original sin to wash it away and to keep washing away the effects throughout the rest of our life. Then to get to participate in that work, but to remember it's ultimately His work and it continues to unfold. It's a beautiful thing. Salvation history, it ain't done. I mean, it's an awesome thing with sacred scripture. It is living and effective. And we see our Lord in the midst of present danger and in the, face of a hit, in the face of a history of darkness moves on, takes each next step. And the good news is, is that didn't end 2,000 years ago, but continues right into 2023 in the roles that we're called to play right now to continue to proclaim the gospel, the good news that Jesus is really and truly risen from the dead. That is, he calls us to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand it's still at hand. It's union with him. It's on offer to us every single day. And just like Peter and Andrew, James and John, he calls us to participate. So my brothers and sisters in Christ, yes, there's a lot of darkness out there. Herod is still active and effective, even if he has a different name at this point. Nevertheless, there's no reason to be afraid. Christ continues to be in our midst. He continues to call us to be fishers of men, wherever we may be, to get to cooperate at this time and to invite others to cooperate to know that the light has come into the world and the darkness will never overcome it. Praise be Jesus Christ.